Hey, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to Starting a Record Label. Now, this is a podcast where I journal starting a record label. And so, uh, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm kind of a nerdy guy. Uh, I obviously have another podcast called Yellow Spandex. I mean, that's nerdy enough. Uh, we talk about superheroes and comics, whatever. I love, I love cartoons and sci-fi movies and punk rock and, you know, all that stuff kind of used to be kind of put together, you know, like you were the odd dudes, um, at the table or girls too, um, at school. And so, you know, you talk about weird things like you talk about machines taking control of the world or, or whatever else you wanted to talk about at the non-jock, non-cool table. Not that I didn't like sports because I loved baseball, but I definitely wasn't in that crowd when I was younger. It was kind of hard to find people like myself growing up. Nobody actually wanted to tell anyone if they liked any of the things I was talking about, you know, uh, comics or anything. Um, I even met a dude who was um, in one of my classes, I think in 10th grade, and he was like kind of a jock. He was with running with that crowd. And uh, we, you know, it was kind of like a breakfast club kind of thing to where we're going to put aside. And, and I just got talking to him for a while. I was like, yeah, I need to make me to make it home to watch Spider-Man. And I was kind of half jokingly um, talking about it. And he's like, dude, I love that show too. And we went on about talking about NES games that we still play and all this other crap. And I was like, holy crap, this dude is just like me. Like, it's just really weird that like deep down, most people um, have some things in common. Um, I'm not sure if maybe... And I think nowadays, like, it's really easy to find people that are like you. Like, if you want to go online and find some people that are into some obscure thing, um, like monster movies or something, you know, you can totally do it. There's tons of ways to do that, whether it's YouTube or anything else. But uh, back then, it was a little hard, you know. You know, it's just, you know, people didn't do that. You kind of were shunned a little bit if you did or made fun of. And, uh, you know, everybody deep down liked punk rock or something silly you know that's why we had blink 182 and like all those movies and uh now we have marvel movies you know where people are actually super interested in that and they come out of the woodwork like oh yeah i watched x-men when i was like in sixth grade you know still watch it today actually (laughs) um so it comes to like no surprise that like the name for the label that i've chosen has a few things similar that was kind of woven into it but here, here's where I'm coming from. I'm going to back it up a little bit. You know, you're growing up, music industry was kind of in full mode. This is like the 80s and the 90s, and uh, even indie labels were kind of being born then, like big indie labels. You got like Sub Pop, Metador, A Lookout Records, Tooth and Nail. They're all, you know, getting their big start, and people were looking for something different in the early 90s. I mean, that's why we got Nirvana and the whole grunge phase. And uh, punk had a huge impact, too. I mean, Green Day's Dookie album was giant. It was huge. And and so much so that, like, with Nirvana and all the other stuff that was going on, they kind of coined the phrase, like, alternative music because they didn't know what to do with it. It wasn't pop music, but it was popular, you know? And so, like, each indie label had their own distinct flavor and fans. They might not have had, like, the same, you know, there's only punk here and it's only this or that there. They might have, like, mixed a little bit in between. But they definitely had, like, a distinct, I don't know, group of people that liked what they did. Uh, So much so that, like, majors started buying up mid-sized indie labels, you know. They're just, you know, they wanted them because they were, they had popular artists on them, obviously. But it was also because, like, majors were 
kind of bland, especially in the early 90s. They were bland even for just pop music, but not that pop music is, is bad. I love catchy, well-written, honest song, no matter the genre. My cassette and CD and vinyl collection, I'll definitely tell you that. So it might have been fine for a while had the internet tech revolution kind of not happened and, you know, the Napster and MP3s never come along so that the industry kind of just kept chugging because there's, you know, you got, at least you got democratization of everything to where, hey, if I like this certain kind of music, I can kind of find where it's at, you know, and uh, even before the internet, you know, it was really weird how we would, we would actually find all those albums like me. I would find stuff that I loved that, and like a group of people today would talk about like a dude living in like Wisconsin versus someone living uh, outside Chicago versus someone living in like Texas or something. We'd all have like a similar like uh, experience and that was kind of before the internet really took hold. So it's kind of weird how that kind of came together even back then. But um, when people realized that they didn't have to pay for like, 15 to 20 dollars per cd in the the napster era where you can get everything for free it was kind of all over i mean who wants to pay money especially like as a high school student or a college student college josh didn't want to some goodness sakes how much you know stuff i actually stole <laughs> i mean i music I, I stole and uh at the time with how much cd sales you know they lost it's not only forced these small indie labels to go out of business, but eventually it even shook majors. And it took a while for the majors to move on to MP3s even. The indies were smarter, but they didn't really help as much as because, you know, it was Apple that started iTunes and iPods. Then they could start selling music again and even ringtones. But these labels didn't even have half the money that they had like five years prior. You know, the majors started letting like these side genres go. These indie labels they had kind of like absorbed you know, they stopped producing for stuff like that. They stopped making things that they deemed unprofitable. You know, they, they kind of only started doing the mains, you know. They did hip-hop and R&B, pop and country, you know. And it was, it was kind of rough in that era. Like, a lot of those indies did hang around for a while. I mean, there's, some of them are still here, but they some of them they even bought and resold. Uh, I think Tooth & Nail is owned was owned by EMI for a while. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, and then it's sold back to, uh, I think it's back with Brandon Ebel. So I'm not sure just how things worked in that, in that day and era. Uh, and cause I was kind of in college and doing, you know, some stuff during that, like 2005 to 2010, 15 era. And, uh, things have definitely changed. So anyway, Fast forward to this age of streaming and Spotify and YouTube. And the music industry has kind of slowly become a machine that I'm just, I'm not happy about, you know, living in it, uh, recording in it. You know, I've, I think I've talked about it before, but like, I just, I was thrown into so many situations that just didn't make me happy. You know, and, you know, before I moved out here, I was just recording like little crab town bands and then they were having fun and they were doing things they loved and uh, they were serious about it even for a lot of them it was just weird how unserious the actual music business was people wouldn't show up to sessions or they'd come in and they'd go out and drinking we'll be back you know we're gonna go to the club for a few hours i'm like okay just the attitudes and how it was how it was even done it was crazy how it was done with a lot of stuff because I'd, I'd actually recorded a lot of songwriters 
and uh, for their labels. And it's just, it was weird. Everything was kind of done in a weird kind of um, conveyor belt fashion. You know, it'll almost be like if you went to a car factory or whatever, it's like, we're going to put on the doors and then we're going to move on to the next part. I mean, take a look at like the hit songs right now. I mean, they have anywhere from like six to 13 songwriters on them. They've just been pushed and mushed together. When I would get into a songwriting session, we'd have a producer come in or like what we call like a producer. But, you know, there's a million words for that. But what I mean is like a beat maker would come in and they'd audition like 30 different songs to like a group of people. Sometimes the artist's not even there. Sometimes just management for the artist. It was weird. And uh, once a a backing track was kind of chosen, I'd be sent off to the top line writers. And those people, their only job was kind of to write a catchy new melody. Sometimes it included the lyrics, but not always. And so one person did something, another person did the other thing. Sometimes it wouldn't even touch the artist until... You know, there was lyrics thrown on it and anything else. They'd go to show management and the artist, and then they'd you know go through hundreds of songs, um, seeing what they liked. And like that wasn't yeah, the artist didn't barely touch any of it until then. And you know, I didn't see much beyond that because at that point, then they started getting like either bigger producers or something to start working with it. But like just that, I don't know. You'd end up with a song with like ten people on it. And to be honest, I've even seen tons of people left off those lists i would i was definitely left off a ton of lists for like engineering and stuff like you know credits have been even just regular credits credits that i don't get money for were just awfully done like i don't know what the deal was but uh i know those writing credits were probably pretty bad with uh they maybe they maybe whoever's producing behind another producer like shadow producing for them Maybe they signed a bad contract with a producer or, and, you know, became part of his team. Or maybe, you know what, he, maybe he's getting just paid a certain amount of money every week and he, you know, signed a contract for that and he's making a decent living and maybe he's happy about that. But I know there's a lot of people that were doing the writing behind it that didn't end up on that writing in the end. And it's just, it's, it's such a weird feeling. And I just don't know, like, especially with pop music, like, if you're putting together an album, like how cohesive can that be? Like I've recorded like thousands of, of songs and hundreds of bands. And I'm like, when we do an album or even when we were like doing an EP or something, we want like it to be cohesive. And it's just really weird that you could make music that way. And I just don't feel like, like I've bought some of that stuff that I kind of worked on. I'm like, I don't know if I feel this. Like, I don't know if it's, if it works together as well as, say, you know, Jimmy World's Futures album, you know? <laughs> so it's just, it's weird, you know? Um, But, you know, I mean, working that way isn't exactly bad. It's just, you know, like I write music that like, and I, I, I've done stuff for over the years. I, the artist in me just doesn't like it. Like co-writing to me is like a great way to help add a different flavor into the mix. You know, you can get out of your writer's block, stop becoming like a factory becomes kind of problematic. I mean, I was watching this, this movie a few weeks ago. I mean, it's a great movie. I'm sure you've probably seen it. It's called Ford versus Ferrari. And like, I love cars, but I don't know squat about cars and I don't know how true to actual life. The movie is biopics sometimes aren't very true. But there's a great uh, quote between 
or a great uh, dialogue between uh, Carol Shelby, who was Matt Damon, and the owner of Ford, which I don't remember that actor's name. <laughs> and uh, you know, he goes through, and he's going to get yelled at because his car didn't win some race. And you know, this whole the whole time, like he's kind of being buffered by the other people in the company saying, you know, you got to do this and you can't do that. And you're not allowed to use this driver and you got to use these kind of things. And, and as he's waiting, the wait in the waiting room, he sees like a, a folder, like a red folder getting passed around to people before he goes in to talk to Ford, like the big, the big dude. And he's, uh, he gets in there and he's like, you know what? I've seen that red folder go around the entire room. And I bet it went around downstairs too. And you're got 30 people looking at it and, you know, making these decisions piece by piece. You can't, win a race by committee and that really like kind of struck me and i know other people have talked about it in like the indie like or in the film industry too to where like things just get bogged down by so many different hands kind of in the in the kitchen legendary songs are are rarely made by a committee yeah they can be made by different songwriters or co-writing definitely absolutely 100 percent. but like what i'm talking about is you know the kinds of music. You know those songs that are put in that are like, there are top 10 songs where you're like, people aren't going to forget this. Like this song is so generic and skin deep and forgettable. Yeah, it might be catchy. You know, I appeal to somebody at this point in time. And I'll tell you a ton of those songs that I helped record never saw the light of day. And people working on them sometimes just weren't even like very interested. They're just like fulfilling whatever publishing thing they were doing at the time. It just makes me say, like, labels, what are you doing? Like, I understand the bean counters want to make sure that they don't make a mistake with their money. But the point, like, has kind of sailed when you start screwing with the artistic process. Like, you're not going to make anything better. You're not an artist. I, I think back on, uh, there's this thing on the internet, and uh, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna talk about it, I'm not sure if it's true completely. It's in, like an audio recording of uh, William Shatner, and he was doing a commercial or something, and he had somebody kind of like trying to tell him to do it differently, and, uh, and William Shatner's getting pissed, and he's like, well, tell me, how would you read it? You know, kind of just like being a smartass, and uh, the guy like obviously not knowing what the heck he's doing is way over his head. He reads like whatever read that he's supposed to be reading for the commercial or whatever it is. And it's lifeless and whatever. And he's, you know, he's the person that's, you know, trying to tell, you know, William Shatner what to do as an actor. And, uh, and William Shatner like goes, Oh, you want me to read it like that? And he literally reads it the same way that the, uh, you know, the jerky management, whatever it was, was read it. And it was awful. And you could tell, and, uh, you could tell the, the guy that said it, like told whoever was in charge there was like just appalled at himself for even suggesting such a thing and Shatner was literally like okay we're done I guess I guess we're done with that okay let's move on let's go home and the guy's like please don't please 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 and you could just tell like you just you know get caught you you think you know better when that and you you really just need to kind of let the artistic process move forward you can't win a race by committee and you can't release music like one either. It's something like a robot would make. Like, meh, 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 down, the, down the line, making cars. It's like the bumper sticker. Like Music was better when ugly people made it. <laughs> it's true. Well, and When people cared more about developing artists, probably they, they probably made better music. 
like we like they worry so much about the artistry and it's not not just the writing it's the industry as well you know they signed so many acts and they shelved so many acts they didn't even know why they were signing what they were doing sometimes they didn't even know what they had they didn't even know what they wanted you go back and listen to my podcast with the dares it's uh, episode three um where they signed you know the dares because they wanted like a jonas brothers band and if you listen to any of the dares music whether it's the stuff that i made or even i think they got some stuff on it that were made under the label there that's not the jonas brothers i mean they're they're young rock dudes but like they're not them like what were they thinking they think they could smush them into what they wanted what was the label thinking it's it's ridiculous sometimes i mean when you get giant like that into a big machine you know it's just weird it's like a quote that's attributed to hunter s thompson I don't even know if it's real. I, I looked it up a while back and they said it might not be completely his, but the music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. And I laugh because it's true. I've seen so many people get ripped off. And not only that, people not getting credit for what credit's due and people not being listened to because, you know, some some higher up somewhere someone that has the money somewhere has this or that doesn't even give them the time of day like it's a machine like nature of an industry it's just off-putting and like since the fall of like the cd and the rise of streaming the gatekeepers are kind of trying hard to stay relevant we can walk around them now they literally throw things at the wall until something sticks Today, you don't need the major labels to distribute your music. You've even seen it done with, with Chance the Rapper and Macklemore. The marketplace is wide open for innovation, right? How are labels still kicking and doing what they do? They even started trying to innovate themselves by working with more television and internet celebrities. I mean, I mean, way back when they even started doing it, like with, with William Hung. You remember him in like 2003 when he was on Inter uh, American Idol? And they laughed at this kid. And like, I felt so bad for him. Like... He has practically laughed off that show because he, you know, it's like, it's even a bad, a bad Asian stereotype. I don't understand how it got, how they got away with it. But like that, you know, he, he was just an awful singer and they let him on to laugh. I mean, he was on network television. It was weird. I don't know if their ratings were falling or what it was, but it gained like a huge internet following because of it. And like a, a small record label like swooped in and like capitalized on that. They made 200,000 copies of like a cheaply made album for this dude. And I don't know if maybe he's got some some problems or whatever, but like he took that. I mean, it's probably smart to take it because it's a lot of money. He'd already been kind of made fun of. And uh, I don't know if how, I don't know if he actually got a lot of money about it, to be honest. Um, but if you listen to this album, look it up on Spotify. It's his first album. And it is literally karaoke tracks it is like an awful keyboard sound for everything and it's him just doing pop songs and they sold 200,000 copies this is back in like cds era still and that's that's crazy and that's like a record label kind of just capitalizing on, on something ridiculous like that i mean at least rebecca black when she you know did that friday song um i felt bad for her too at least she tried to capitalize on it herself you know, she deserves any money she gets from it, too, because she was ridiculed as like a kid for making a silly song in a video. I felt bad. I feel bad for people that, you know, get made fun of on the Internet. I did so much stupid stuff before they did recording. Gosh, 
so glad that that's not on the internet that I know of at least. But, you know, and I'm getting to all this stuff and I'm kind of rolling into the reason why I'm kind of making and naming the thing I'm naming the label the way I'm naming. What was kind of really the, I don't know if it was the final straw, but like, do you remember the bad a baby girl like her you'd probably remember her as the catch me outside girl she was on dr phil and she became a meme and because she was a meme and because she kind of like she had like a witty humor and very mean spirited like comebacks and whatnot she had like a ton of internet fans and she became huge on the internet which is fine whatever but what happened was atlantic records gave her like a million dollar record deal do you know how many songwriters I've recorded that deserve this more? Like, it's weird. I mean, it's a brilliant move for that businessman that, that did it. But it shows that the industry isn't capable of developing actual artists anymore. They, they're they in it for, like, a publicity stunt. They can make some, like, a quick buck, maybe. Pick quick buck, maybe and uh, that's all. Like, it's like a heartless, mechanical pursuit. I don't... That's what I see the music industry today. And the kid in me is asking, where are the heroes of this industry? Where are the songwriters? Where are the small artists? I'm sure they're out there. They're hard to find. In a way that you can connect with anybody, why aren't they being promoted? They're probably all working like second jobs just to get by. Well, probably not now with this whole thing going down, but that'll probably kill a lot of artists, the younger artists that were probably getting somewhere a little bit. I mean, maybe they're the producers and songwriters that are kind of being forced to kind of like hail Hydra, you know, <laughs> hope they don't get burned by a bad contract. I don't know. It's not for me. It's not for me for today. I don't want a conveyor belt like of mediocrity. I want to take chances on like flesh and blood people and like actually work together. And if I'm if if I'm ever confused about any of this in the future, I want to be able to like play this back. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be a robot. And I picked this name out so long ago. And I felt this way for such a long time. And I mean, as a record label name, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's nerdy, it's cheesy. It's something someone would say in like a comic or a cartoon or a bad, you know, sci-fi channel movie. It's on the nose. It's 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 ridiculous, and it's me. And the the name would be a uh, not today robot. Not today robot. I've actually been thinking about doing something different for like at least a few months. Like if the name is too much me, and it is, and I like it. I've even had a logo done up by my friend Dan. And uh, Dan Patton, and he's, you know, he did a great job. So it's ready for trademark and LLC and everything else that I got to do beyond there. You know, it's really weird, like, even putting an, even making a name. There's so many names that you could be like, eh, that's, that's an okay name, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love this one because, I don't know, maybe in me it kind of embodies all that nerdiness that I had when I was younger. And into punk rock and watching cartoons so you know once again i want to help great artists who are good people good hard-working people 
create amazing music and develop and market our brands together. I'm not going to play the industry's game. We're doing something different. And to quote another nerdy film, uh, The Enemy of the State, in war, you try to use your weaknesses as strengths. If they're big and you're small, then you're mobile and they're slow. You're hidden and they're exposed. You only fight the battles you can win. And I can't wait for this whole virus thing to be over. I mean, other people have other reasons too. But I know that we can kickstart this thing when it does. We don't have to wait anymore. We don't have to wait on anyone. That being said, I'm searching for bands now. As soon as I'm able to, I'm going to be going out to shows, meeting people, discussing possibilities. As crazy as it is right now, I'm content. And we may not have all the funds available at the very, very beginning, but we'll have it by the time we need it. We'll make it work. So thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe. We're on Podbean, but we're also on Stitcher and Overcast and Apple Podcasts and all those things, man. But until next time, thanks for listening.